You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The Wild Never Make It podcast presents the Spotlight Series, an in-depth look at those making a difference in the arts and beyond. Thank you for joining me. This week on the podcast, we'll be focusing on musical theater writing. Later this week, I'll be talking with two writers who have a new work being featured at the Soho Playhouse here in New York City. But today's episode focuses on Anna Jacobs, who is the director of the musical theater composition program at the New York Youth Symphony. Anna and her students have class at the Harlem School of Arts and sat down with me and talked about the process of writing a musical and also what they're learning in the class. She talks about her philosophy of teaching what she's learned in her own compositions and imparting that to students of the next generation of musical theater writers. And I'll even be showcasing one of the brand new works that they're working on in class. Here now is Anna Jacobs with the musical theater composition program of the New York Youth Symphony. Well, thank you so much, Anna, for joining me here. Well, well, I'm actually joining you in your home today. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. So how long have you been with the New York Youth Symphony? I have only been with them since about July. So I was uh, brought on to uh, begin their brand new musical theater composition program. Then when I was hired, we had a long discussion about what the curriculum would look like. And I've been fortunate myself in that I've had some terrific training. I got an MFA in musical theatre writing at NYU. Um, I've done programs um, at the New Dramatists. Um, So I was pulling on a lot of my own experiences as a learner as I was learning the craft of musical theatre songwriting and and using that to construct a brand new course that was appropriate for students who are obviously younger than I was when I was studying it. Right. And NYU Tisch is actually a a commonality that we have. I have been on the other side of performing the works that, that you writers do so how is uh, how did that training because it's a two-year program mm-hmm. and how did that training uh propel you uh, into your own writing as well as now this program oh it like changed my life so when I moved to New York I identified as just a classical composer and I I moved to Indiana and I was at Indiana University studying classical music uh and working with a lot of the opera performers there and writing weird hybrid music that kind of sat on the boundary between classical music and musical theater and a lot of them 
could tell that I was passionate about musical theatre and one of them actually pointed me in the direction of the program. Uh, And when I started, I realised that I was doing the thing that I was always meant to be doing. I love people, I love characters, I love storytelling, I love writing lyrics, I'm a lyricist as well. Mm -hmm. So it kind of combined all of my passions. And uh, in terms of launching my career, it was instrumental because at the end of the two years, you write a full-length musical that's your thesis. I was very fortunate in that the thesis that I wrote with my collaborator was produced the next year at Yale Repertory Theatre and then went on to have a life around the country. Oh, that's really wonderful. Yeah, I've, I've been a part of a couple of pieces that have gone on beyond just those Tisch readings that they, that they have at the end of the year. So it's really exciting whenever a piece can have a life just beyond that program. Right. And it also gave me all of my collaborators and I've been really lucky because a lot of the people I met through NYU or through connections through NYU are now guest artists in the program that I've designed for the Youth Symphony. In designing this program for the Youth Symphony, what was going to be your main thrust or main component that you wanted to involve the students in? Um, A few things. I wanted to teach them songwriting craft. Uh, because it's very specific. You have to learn how to write an AABA song and a verse chorus song and what song progression is and what a hook is. They have to learn how to collaborate not only with one another but also with performers because I feel like that's such a vital component of being um, a good musical theatre writer. As a a performer, I absolutely agree because you can, especially being at Tisch, you can tell those who are musically gifted but may not understand how it translates to the voice. Right. And I also say to them, when you are writing um, a song, the music has to leave some space for the lyrics. The lyrics have to leave some space for the music, but then also the song itself has to leave some space for the performer to bring some meaning as well. And so there's no way for them to learn that aspect without collaborating with performers. And we're so lucky because um, we're partnering with Harlem School of the Arts where the classes take place. Mm. And we actually have eight very gifted students in their musical theater performance program who are the people who will be performing the students' songs throughout the year and then in their big end-of-year concert at Joe's Pub. Oh, that's wonderful. And and such a great venue to, to end with. I know. <laughs> and I actually just took them to a concert there. They went and saw a, a showcase by Max Vernon, and their eyes were just glowing. They were so excited <laughs> to think that their own work was going to be there. Now, for those of you who don't know, Joe's Pub is part of the public theater. And so and public theater is one of the, the best off-Broadway houses in New York and so to be that little offshoot Mm. is such a thrill especially for young students like that. And they're also learning some um, pretty solid music theory in this course as well. uh, They have to know how to notate even if they come in as a lyricist who doesn't um, write much music by the end of the uh, year they will have learned how to compose their own melodies and how to notate them, how to use music publishing software, um, how to make band arrangements. We have um, a Broadway pit band playing in their concert at the end of the year. That's cool. So I'm really just taking all of these authentic processes that happen when you are writing um, either songs for a cabaret or songs for a musical and showcasing them, and I'm leading them through a process that breaks that down for them. And you had mentioned that you came from the opera world. So what was it that, or what was that shift that said, you no, know, musical theater is actually where you were more meant to be? Um. Oh, that's a great question. You know, um, there wasn't a shift. It was ignorance. (laughs) Um, I grew up in Sydney, Australia, where um, 
musical theatre isn't an Indigenous art form. And they do do musicals there, but um, especially when I was growing up, less so now, um, there just wasn't a new musical theatre scene or, or incubator. Mm. And so I, I was a singer and um, I had a wonderful voice teacher who would bring in Sondheim and Bernstein and Barber and Copeland and Adam Gettle and Ricky and Gordon and Michael John Lacusa, um, Janine Tesori. And, and so a, part, a large part of my repertoire was singing musical theater, but I kind of assumed that people were like Leonard Bernstein. And so you would write your symphonies and your masses and then like maybe you would write a musical as well. Yeah. I didn't understand that there was an industry that did this. Yeah, because a lot of those composers that you named had a very classical background or classical sound to their musical theater writing. Right. And then I went to Indiana and found out about the program through the people I was collaborating with. And I think that during my year at Indiana, I had this awakening where I realized that I wasn't interested in um, institutional music. I wasn't interested in getting a doctorate and just writing academic music or music that appealed to a small portion of the population. I've always been a real populist. I read People magazine. I watch Keeping Up with the Kardashians. In saying that, do you mean just something that's that's more popular and accessible as opposed to something that shows I know how to write music? I mean, I don't think the people <clears throat> who write that kind of music think of it that way. I think it's what they love and what makes them excited. But yes, I am a communicator. I'm very extroverted. And the more people I can communicate with through the art that I'm making, the better. And I just felt like musical theatre was a better vehicle for that. And I could also see models of writers ahead of me who were writing complex music, but um, framing it in a, in, a, in a form that spoke to more people. It just ended up being the place that I knew I ne needed to be. Yeah, because definitely composers like Jason Robert Brown or Stephen Sondheim, they're known for their complex writing. And at the same time, when you see it performed, it doesn't sound that complex, but those of us who know the music know what goes into the writing as well as the singing of it. Right. And also something that I'm learning is that the music itself doesn't have to be complex. <clears throat> How you use it in the context of what you're doing can be complex. Absolutely. Fun Home, I think, is a great example. You had mentioned Janine Tesoria. And the melodies are fairly simple, but the subject matter, the, the story itself, and how the music is utilized in it mm -hmm. makes it a very lush and rich composition. So with regards to the children in the program, mm -hmm. you combine both lyricists, music writers, and those who do both? Yeah, so we have people of a variety of artistic backgrounds. We have um, some people who um, their experience has primarily been musical theatre performance. Um, they come in as singer-actors who have had very limited experience writing but want to uh, develop that aspect of their artistry. We have singer-songwriters who perhaps aren't that engaged with musical theatre but are interested in crossing over into the form. And because it's attached to the youth symphony, we also have a lot of classical composers, um, many of whom who have actually participated in the classical composition program that the youth symphony offers and are interested in writing for voice or writing with text. So you have a lot of different 
different eyes and different ears coming into musical theater composition. Right, which what what is that's the thing that I think makes it great because they all respect one another very deeply. Um, and so they are learning how to be more versatile as writers through exposure to one another. And so what is that application process like for a student to come into the musical theater composition program? They submit uh, a work <clears throat> sample and it can be a lyric if they identify more as a lyricist, or it can be a piece of music if they identify more as a composer. Uh, the composers have to submit a recording and have the option of sending in a score too. The lyricists ha have to submit a lyric sheet but have the option of submitting a recording if they want. And really all I'm looking for um, is students who have an interesting voice um, and some experience with uh, the creative process in whatever field I think can parlay into musical theatre writing. And for you as a teacher coming from, as you said, performing and to now teaching it, what is that process like? Oh, that's a good question. Composition, musical theatre composition, but composition in general can have a very mystical quality to it. And to a lot of people can seem inaccessible because there's this sense that you are born very talented and if you are a composer, it's something that just sort of happens. Mm. And I strongly disagree with that. I Just as I believe that everybody has the ability to be a singer and that having a great voice is not something that you're gifted with, I also believe that being able to compose any kind of music or write any kind of great piece of drama is something that you can learn. Having something to say is the thing that <laughs> right, may yeah. or may not elude you. And so I'm kind of trying to do two things pedagogically while I'm running this course. On the one hand, I'm trying to um, break down the craft into the nuts and bolts so that it's really accessible to everybody. Mm -hmm. But I'm also trying to help students figure out what is it that, that they want to write about and what is the unique way in which they write? Um, how do they take all the sources of inspiration that they have but not write like um, any one particular person they admire? Right. And that's something that they'll develop over time. As a singer, it's certainly interesting to me because you, you talk about the nuts and bolts of composition. What do you see as those basic ingredients that you feel can be taught that you don't have to be born with? Well, for example you can be taught how to think critically about your work through the process of learning how to take feedback and knowing what to do with that feedback. Um, you can actually learn how to rewrite. Um, you can be taught um, the components of a song and how to use them to tell story. Um, you can be taught the kinds of dramaturgical questions you should be asking yourself after you've written the first draft of something to determine whether or not it's actually going to work on stage. And you can be taught how to see a, watch a performer performing a draft of your work and how to make improvements in the room. Like all of that stuff can be taught. And sometimes I think it's through modeling. And then sometimes I think it's through breaking things down in, and scaffolding experiences in a way that makes them digestible. I think the interesting thing with musical theater, because it comes from a popular um sort of world mm -hmm. is that a lot of us have had to learn these skills by just sort of being thrown into the deep end and we make these mistakes and then we learn from them sometimes it's really humiliating and <laughs> yeah, absolutely I'm like if I can save some people from that by <laughs> by helping them inch their way in into the process then great
Yeah, I mean, it's certainly the same for us performers. We we fall down a lot, whether it's in auditions or sometimes even on stage. Mm -hmm. And so that that growth process of the two steps forward, three steps back mm -hmm. kind of mentality. Yeah, it's and a, and learning that there's value in risking and failing is also something that I'm trying to impart to. Well, especially in the setting that you have, because it's it should be, and I'm sure that it is, a safe space for them to try something that may exceed their wildest expectations or something that, no, this is not going to work and try something else. Right. Yeah. I think that something I've learned myself through my own process is that writing is a muscle and uh, you have to write a lot to really get comfortable doing it mm -hmm. and f be able to generate your best writing. And so I'm just trying to get them to write a lot. And um, we did this hilarious activity on it was just the second class, so they barely knew each other and I. I was like, let's do this. And um, I call it round robin collaboration where I pair people up. I pair up a music person and a lyrics person and I give them some ridiculous amount of time, like 20 minutes, to um, write based on a the prompt they've been given and then mm. they all get back together and I pull names out of a hat and they have to share what they made. Right. And there's no time to like have writer's block. Like, you have 20 minutes. Right, so you just throw something down. Yeah, yeah. so, like, they were writing um, haikus about the Statue of Liberty and somebody, and because I so admire people who improvise, both mm -hmm. musicians and actors. Uh, that, that's exactly what I was thinking of as you said it, because I've taken some improv classes, and mm -hmm. it's all about just kind of, yes, and you, you receive something and just respond to it, or, or you take an idea or a prompt and just start somewhere. You know, you don't know where you're going to go. Right. And you're also separating yourself from the editing process when you're creating. Like exactly. you just sort of make the thing and then you can step back and look at the thing and then decide whether you like it or not or how to fix it. And I think there's something very freeing in that. And I learned a lot myself from doing a class at the Magnet and I was the worst improviser, <laughs> but it helped my writing so much. You know, I just wanted to show them that you can make something and it can be terrible, but like it can take you somewhere great. And you've got to make something first. That's mm -hmm. what you have to start somewhere. And so speaking of starting from somewhere, what exactly was it that brought you from Sydney to New York? I graduated from, with a Bachelor of Music and with honors at the University of Sydney as a composer. And I spent a few years teaching and I had a voice studio and I was um, writing for choirs. Back then I was I identified primarily as a choral composer and I was conducting and making arrangements of string quartets for pop artists' albums. and <laughs> But there, I couldn't figure out how to sort of uh, where to go from there. And a number of my mentors... Um, strongly encouraged me to come over to the States and study here. So when I came over originally, I was only planning to um, do some further study and then move back to Sydney. But I think when I moved to New York City and started writing musicals, something really clicked for me. And because I'd never grown up in musical theatre in Australia, it, that whole landscape is really, really foreign to me. So now it would be a very big gesture to move back and try and find my feet professionally over there. Is that something that you've thought about doing at some point going back to Australia and integrating musical theater? As you said, it's not very present there. I have thought about it. I don't know how I would do it, but what I do know is that I love starting things and I love educating and I love community building. So there's probably a great opportunity there, but it, there's also the danger that it could happen in isolation because there's it's not... 
I mean, even in regional areas of the United States, I feel like there's still, I don't know, more organizations working in tandem with one another to, to keep the motor going. Mm. And I, I just don't know whether that's in Australia, but it's not to say that it isn't. I just don't know. <laughs> <laughs> right, because you're in another world. You're in the yeah. more classical world. It's like if yeah. I said to you, move to Iceland and be a performer. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Right, I would have no idea where to start. <laughs> yeah. I'd just start with the biggest city and, and hope. Right. <laughs> So now getting back to the Youth Symphony, how has your writing, your teaching changed or broadened as you've started this program with them? Something that I discovered, so I have 14 uh, student composers in my group and they're like 14 of the best people I've ever met and they really get along with each other so well. And sometimes I pair people based on some being in similar age brackets, but there are also some collaborations where I have a middle schooler and a college student working together. Mm. The commonality that they share is that they're like very passionate about, not even about musical theater, but about being creative souls. And so they have been able to guide the program to a certain extent. We have a lot of opportunities towards the ends of class to sort of put a pin in what we're doing and chat about what the next assignment's going to be or how we should pair people up next time or um, how we could be working together as a community better and they have lots of suggestions and so then my job becomes um, less about directing and, and more about just facilitating and that's the best kind of teaching I think where you're empowering people to an extent that they are in full control of their learning experience. Well especially with this being a new program I assume the students are, are, are some of the best um, eyes and ears of what's working what's not working what direction to take the program. Right. As you said you're just beginning but what is your sense of this musical theater program as it relates to the Youth Symphony as an organization. How do you think it's fitting in so far? You know, the division between musical theater and more classical art forms is pretty arbitrary and has a lot to do with marketing. <laughs> I mean, this is the thing that I say to all of my students. Um, I say that musical theater is a form and not an aesthetic. You can Your voice can be whatever it is, and writing a musical is really about understanding dramaturgy and how songs can push action forward. Mm, yeah. Um, there's, I get really frustrated when people say, oh, does it sound musical theater enough? I'm like, what, what is that supposed to sound like? Well, especially nowadays. I mean, if it was the 30s and 40s, yes, it, musical theater had kind of one sound. Mm -hmm. but, but nowadays it really can be anything. And in the 30s and 40s, that one sound was the popular music of the day. Right. Like Tin Pan Alley music was generating the songs that people played and, on the radio yeah, yeah. and um and and i am a big fan of of the form keeping up with that um and it's very telling when people think that the those throwback um songs are like what it should sound like um so yeah so i think that um any kind of uh, voice can find a place in musical theatre and so there's a lot of opportunity for students who are interested in, in the avant-garde or the downtown or the classical um, to 
write in that form. Um, and I'm finding that there is some lovely cross-pollination between the programs in that sense. Also, I think there may be opportunities in the future for some of the students in the uh, classical composition program um, or even the orchestral program to be able to come and, and sit in when we have an orchestration class with Lynn Shankel and mm. Or, um, you know, when we're doing our sits probe, maybe they can come and learn from the music director. So we're, we're still figuring out those partnerships, but um, I think Yeah, because it seems of... like the programs, uh, because the, the orchestral, the musical theater composition, the jazz can all kind of come together. And just like you're using the, those Harlem students as your performers, you can use performers and other people within the program right yeah to kind of showcase these pieces that are being written exactly and I mean that's the thing those people might end up being their artistic community that they sort of grow up with and continue to write um, with and that's the thing that I learned from being at NYU is that you should hold your collaborators close because they're going to continue to be your collaborators. Right, right, because you still stay in touch with those that you that you went through the program with. Right, and performers I met doing, like you, who I met right. doing my thesis reading, I still work with today. Right, so. yeah, yeah. I've, I've kept in touch with a few of the writers as well, and they bring me back if their piece has another life yeah. in a reading or this music festival or, or whatever. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Going forward, what is your, your goal for, for this first year? Like, how do you hope that it progresses? And then when it comes to the end of the year, what, what's your goal for it? So by the end of the year, I, I want them to feel like they can um, confidently introduce themselves as composer lyricists to people. Um, I'm trying to immerse them in the industry as much as possible by going to concerts and obviously meeting um, people from the industry, but also a couple of other little initiatives. Like, for example, I felt that for the students in the group who um, are female or um, uh, gender nonconforming, that it would be nice for them to have mentors because that group is underrepresented historically. Right. And so we now have a mentorship program with Maestro, which is a group that was started by Georgia Stitt um, for female identifying composers. Hmm. Um, and so um, six students in the group now have mentors who they're um, forming partnerships with. Wow. Um, how, how does that mentorship program work? Just, just more like feedback or kind of guiding them through the process? It's kind of up to the pairs how they want to navigate it um, in sort of the um, sort of the smaller sense it could just be 
chatting by phone or over coffee um, so that the mentee gets a better sense of how somebody carves out a career for themselves in the field. But um, there are also situations where um, mentors are now inviting their mentees to come to readings of their work or observe them in rehearsal or even assist them. So um, it changes from partnership to partnership based on what everybody's comfortable with. But I know that um, it took me a long time to uh, find female role models who do what I do. And as soon as I found them, I kind of like latched on. And having them has made a huge difference for me, even just watching them navigate things like uh, parenthood or um, situations where they're a minority on a production and um, seeing how they sort of conduct themselves has been very impactful for me. And in your experience, what have you found is, what have you seen that they bring to something like musical theater Mm -hmm. that maybe wasn't there before? It's really important to have a diversity of point of view. And that musical theater gets stale when it's only one point of view that's being represented. Mm -hmm. I think that every piece demands a different type of creative team based on what the content of that piece is. But I think that Engaging with a musical is all about learning about a group of people you didn't know before or disappearing into a world you've never been able to disappear into before or becoming acquainted with a type of music you didn't know before. Uh, Like it's the most exciting when it's new to you. And so why wouldn't you want to cultivate voices that can show you something that you haven't exactly seen before. Absolutely. Yeah, I've had a guest recently, John McGinty, who's deaf, and he talked about Mm -hmm. he can always tell when a piece is written by someone who's deaf or someone who's hearing. Yeah. Just because the language itself is different. And so just those little nuances, how I think a lot of theater is seeing yourself on the stage or or identifying with the character or feeling, hearing something that speaks to you as as a person, not just it's beautiful music, it's nice to see, but Mm -hmm. something that really speaks to you individually. And so do you see that a lot in what your students are now writing and kind of the direction that you're helping them get to? Yeah, I mean, they're very early in the process, so I haven't seen a lot of that yet. However, I've been really careful about bringing in guests who I feel like can really speak to that, who have really clear voices, who are able to articulate how they develop their voices and how their own personal experiences have shaped their voices um, and who represent something that I consider to be really fresh and and, um, unique. Um, And so right now I think they're just sort of getting immersed in all of that and then once they've had a chance to process that and synthesize that with what they're they're doing they'll be asking themselves those same sorts of questions absolutely when i spoke to to mike repper who is in charge of the orchestra he mentioned that there's some people in this program who Yes, they're, they're gifted musicians, but they want to do something else. Right. They want to go into engineering, psychology, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Or, have you found some of your students that are just kind of using this as a another vehicle, another, I guess, avenue for them to express themselves but really have other right. thoughts in mind? Yeah, I definitely have those kinds of students. And I think that, I, it, I mean, I really admire those kinds of people because I'm not, I've never been like that. Mm-hmm. And it must take... I don't know, a great deal of maturity to choose to spend your time educating yourself 
not because you're going to need that education to like get a paycheck or mm. forge a career path, but because you know that it's going to enrich you as a person. I don't think I have had that level of maturity. <laughs> um, but there, yeah, I have student, I have one student who, speaking of engineering, is in engineering school and even thinking of flipping over to law school. And he's one of the most engaged students in the class. And um, I know he has a million papers he's supposed to be writing every Tuesday night when he's with us. But mm. the fact that he chooses to spend his time that way because he wants to learn how to listen and learn how to take risk and learn how to be a creative person is amazing to me. Then on the other, other end of the spectrum, you know, I have one student who has already starred on Broadway. Um, wow. and, uh, and is very, um, exposed to musical theater. Um, but ha also hasn't had the chance to do that with a bunch of people her own age and just seeing the joy that she gets from being around, people um who are the same age as her and who, who also dig the kind of stuff that she digs is really cool yeah that was actually something i was going to ask about what is the general exposure to musical theater among your students as you said a lot of them come from different backgrounds but do they grow up with musical theater or is this something new to them they've grown up with musical theater because they've grown up with youtube <laughs> right, so, they, so they've seen some bits of it Yeah, somewhere. and actually a couple of uh, weeks ago I brought in George Salazar as the special guest oh, wow. I don't know if you okay. know George But he became like a internet phenomenon Because of um, his role in this show called Be More Chill right. Playing and singing this song called Michael in the Bathroom And like I think he has like more Instagram followers Than any like musical <laughs> theatre personality known yeah. to man and, uh, and like, there was not a, a student in the room who wasn't, like, shaking with excitement and delight when he came in. I'm sure. Um, so, yeah, yeah, they're the YouTube generation. Um, so they have a lot of access to a lot of stuff. But, I, I mean, the thing that has surprised me and delighted me is that a lot of them have uh, are seeking stuff that's, like, new and challenging they're, they're all so jazzed that we have people coming from the production of Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812 to talk to them. And I'm not sure that, I you know, I know a lot of students outside of this program who would most want, you know, people from Dear Evan Hansen to come and talk to them. <laughs> right. Um, but this group, I think, are particularly because of the classical influence of the youth symphony. Um, they, yeah, they're looking for things that, that they consider to be challenging and they're embracing that, which is cool. Whenever you bring in a guest, you've mentioned a couple of them, what is your hope from bringing in guests? Well, usually they start off by talking about themselves, their life and how they became a professional artist and what it is they do now. Um, and then um, they'll usually do something creative with the students. A lot of the time it's students sharing work with them and getting their professional feedback on what they're doing. Uh, we haven't had this class yet, but one that I'm really, really looking forward to is this incredibly well-known bigwig Broadway producer, Beth Williams, is yes. coming in. Mm -hmm. I would tell you what Beth has produced, but, like, there's no need because she's produced everything. Yeah, the, the list is a mile long. Yeah. yeah. For that class, they're going to pitch a musical to her. And she's oh, wow. going to talk about like what she looks for when people pitch musicals to her and um, where the idea of the musical that they're pitching to her might uh, best find its audience, be it a specific theatre or a specific demographic. Um, 
I just had uh, Max Vernon come in last night after they'd seen his show the week before. So they had a lot of questions for him, having heard his work on its feet. And then um, they performed some AABA songs that they'd written for him and he conducted a masterclass with them. So it differs, um, you know, uh, what are we doing next week? Next week, Ryan Driscoll, who's a music copyist for a lot of Broadway shows, is coming in to teach them about notation and the different types of ways you can um, notate your your songs, whether it's like a lead sheet or piano vocal or piano conductor score or band mm. parts, and then they're going to get some tutorials on how to do that. So it differs based on the, the area of expertise of the, the guest, but there's always an opportunity for them to chat with the guest, and then there's always an opportunity for them to make something with or for the guest. When it comes to this upcoming generation that you're now teaching, what are you seeing as a direction that musicals are going in? I hate saying this because um, I feel bad like placing so much emphasis on any one musical because the world needs lots of musicals. Right. But Hamilton like did something, I think, to this. Yeah, it, it, I think it was a shift in musical theater as, as an art form. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, and also I know that when I saw it, even though I would never, ever dare to write a rap song that as I was watching it, I was like, I identify with this as a writer. This speaks to the way that I write in some way. Mm. And I know that a lot of people in the community that I'm a part of felt that way too. So, and I think that maybe the reason for that was that it was so connected to all the other types of art that we're consuming right now. Like people of my age and, and younger and older. It's, it, it was so tapped into the cultural zeitgeist. Um, and so I think that's where musical theatre is going. I think that it is having this lovely renaissance right now where people are realising that it is, um, it is not an archaic art form. It's very relevant. You can write about things that are important right now socially or politically. You can write using musical vocabularies that appeal to what people are listening to right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you can cast in a way that is more thoughtful and representing more different types of people on stage. And that that, that potential is there. Absolutely. And that's what's really exciting about it for me. As you facilitate these young composers... How much of it do you just kind of leave a wide berth and let them just explore? And how much do you try to steer where it is that they're going? I don't try to steer their voices. Their voices are their voices. Right, absolutely. Um, But, you know, if they're using an imperfect rhyme, I will tell them that. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. So, um, yeah, I like to separate um, form from content, I guess. It's difficult because I think that Sometimes you know when a song is working and you know when a song is not working and to be able to be really articulate about why it can be challenging. But right, because because you want to appreciate the work but still give give a critique of maybe a different direction for that work. Well, it's maybe. also really complicated. There could be any any number of reasons why. And the way that writing works is you shift, there's like a domino effect. You change one thing and then all these other things start to change around it. Sure. Um, and so the best way that I can teach is through um, asking questions and inquiry. And I think that's why I'm a good teacher. And I think that's something I've learned through 
consistently teaching now for like, I don't know, 15 years. How old am I? <laughs> Maybe almost 20 years. Yeah. Um, is that uh, really great teaching is not about giving the right information. It's about asking the right questions and giving mm. space for the writer, writer or the, the artist or the creator to go away and figure out the solution that works for them. Right. Right, because as you said, you're trying to focus on, on their voice and not change that, so ask the right questions so that that voice has a better conduit mm -hmm. to, to express itself. And I also just personally hate prescriptive feedback. I don't like it when people are like, he should jump off a building at the end of that section. Like, I just, <laughs> I'm like, no, but if somebody asks a question like, why does he end the song so elated? after X, Y, and Z have happened right before the song. And, th and then I'm like, yeah, I don't know. And then I think of a, a solution that makes sense for the way that I can execute it. And so it, I guess it's just my, my own experiences that I've had with feedback and the type of feedback that I've found useful mm -hmm. have informed the way that I teach as well. And how has teaching informed your own writing? I mean, I think I'm a really excellent communicator with other members of creative teams because... I've had to learn to be so articulate um, talking about art with students and their art. And I think that when you have to explain what you're doing, you have to understand it. <laughs> true, true, so it's, yeah. it's yeah. made me very reflective. Um, I do take a lot of time to think about what I'm making outside of the time when I'm just sitting at a piano or at a laptop making it. And, then, and the reasons why you're making it. Yeah, or like if something you know, isn't working and I'm feeling stuck. Maybe in the past I might have tried to keep forging ahead regardless, mm -hmm. but I think teaching has given me a lot of tools to look at something from multiple angles and, and find a way to fix it or reapproach it. Which sounds like exactly what you're trying to do with your students is kind of give them that, mm -hmm. that, that third eye that can look outside their work. Right. Exactly. <laughs> of her students, Sydney Altbacker and Tate Robinson, talked with me about how they found out about the class and even showcased a song that they've written in the class called A Song for Marilyn. My name is Sydney Altbacker. I actually found out about this program through a friend. I have um, a few friends that are um, involved in various parts of New York Youth Symphony. And um, I'm very involved in the theater in my school, and I'm very passionate about musical theater in general. Um, and a few friends reached out to me saying, look, New York East Symphony has a new program, and it's right up your alley. You should definitely check it out. So I've had a blast so far. So, yeah. My name is Tate Robinson, and uh, I found out about the program through my theater teacher. He's helping me. I'm doing an independent study with him just to learn about the different aspects of theater, because I, I hadn't been too involved until very recently and he told me all about this program and how he'd actually gone to school with Mrs. Jacobs uh, and so he connected me with the program and now that I'm in it it's just it's amazing for me. This piece um, was part of an assignment where we learned about the AABA song format um, so we had a lecture and we learned about um, the different components of an AABA song um, different examples of AABA songs and a lot of things of that nature and we were given an assignment um, based on a cartoon, we had to come up with our own AABA song, and um, that's where Tate, who, is, who wrote the lyrics of the song, came in with a, a lot of the ideas for what our piece is, so if you want to. Yeah, so um, our prompt 
was a cartoon of a man who puts his burrito into a microwave and it's actually a time machine. Uh, so I took that very loosely, uh, having something perfect, but you don't actually want it. So that was uh, sort of my inspiration for the first iteration of the lyrics. And then when I was showing it to people, um, a consistent piece of advice that I got was make it more specific or maybe make it about someone in particular that everyone knows. My idea of the context would be that JFK has just gotten, he's in the midst of everything that's going on with with Russia and the Cold War and the things that are going on. And that's putting a huge stress on his, his family life and just the little small things in his life are being so heavily affected by these big things. And that's sort of tearing him apart when it comes to his relationship with Jackie. Obviously, we're never gonna be able to find out exactly what went on, uh, but in my mind, that is what I think had a large part to do with it. And so that's what really drives him in this song to be with Marilyn and, and be with someone who's just so different and exotic compared to all the things that he has going on with him at the moment. It's like a microanalysis of a moment that he might have had that we wanted to explore. Yeah. He said I had what I was supposed to A fancy roof above my head A girl to keep me warm in bed You can watch the full interview with Sydney and Tate, as well as two other students from the Musical Theater Composition Program, on YouTube. Just search for Why I'll Never Make It Podcast and go to our YouTube channel there. Or you can go to the website, whyillnevermakeit.com, and see the full interview on the website. As I mentioned, later this week I'll be sitting down with Glasgow Lyman and Jeff Rosick, who wrote a new musical called... We need this musical to keep us from killing ourselves, the musical. A name like that, you certainly don't want to miss my conversation with them about writing this musical and exactly what this musical is about. Until then, take care, and I'll see you next time. Hi y'all, this is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.